five, four, three, two, one. Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 37 of One Man Watchpoint, an Overwatch podcast where we talk about everything going on in the wonderful world of Overwatch. If this is your first episode, I'm your host, Sir Dr. JM. You can find me on all socials, so give me a follow at Sir DRJM. And of course, reach out to me on Twitter if you'd like to ask a question for the show or have a topic you'd like me to talk about. I am more than happy to oblige and interact. You can, of course, find this podcast on all your favorite podcast services, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, etc., etc. So give us a follow there, leave us a review, we'll read it on the show if you do, tell your friends, all that good stuff. Now, for the first time in a long time, I'm happy to say we will be going back to a weekly format. That's right, in the Overwatch League offseason, we were on a bi-weekly format because there just wasn't that much to cover with uh, no games happening and uh, no matches uh, in the upcoming weeks. So, uh, now that the Overwatch League has officially kicked off for the 2021 season, we will be recording every week, and that is hopefully on Tuesday, posting on Wednesday. Um, sometimes we're a little delayed, but that's the plan, so we'll do our best to get that done. Now, that of course means probably a little less news each week, but of course we'll be diving into the uh, past week's matches covering, you know, a brief overview of what all went on and uh, what fun stuff happened. And then we'll be moving on to some predictions for the upcoming week's matches as well. So without further ado, let us dive on in and we will take a look at what's been going on the past little while. Playtime's over. All right, so before we actually get into the news or any of the OWL recap and stuff like that, we're going to take a look at some required reading. Um, this does, of course, relate to the Overwatch League and the games that happened this past weekend and will be upcoming. However, uh, it's a nice little article and I wanted to give a shout out. So head on over to GG Recon and look for an article posted by Sasha Yiska that reads seven things we liked or disliked about the Overwatch League opening weekend. Um, I'll read a couple little snippets here. Um, I won't read the whole thing. This is obviously an opinion piece posted by Yiska. Uh, however, I really enjoyed it, and I thought he covered a lot of the uh, a lot of the good, the bad, and the otherwise that happened uh, in this past weekend's opening week games. So he starts by diving into a major production step up. Finally, turning towards their core fan base while listening to their endemic voices, the Overwatch League has successfully implemented key features that improved the experience tremendously. The quality of the stream itself, even on resolutions available last season, looked much crisper, with limited moments of cluttered pixelation destroying any chance of understanding what's going on. The new clip feature decreased the barrier for fans to share their favorite moments with their friends or community, giving us a higher amount of special and otherwise easily missed moments. Well, we can discuss how kosher it is to lure viewers into your stream and mix them up with engaged viewers, the reality is that most esports have some external carrot to draw in an entire audience. Needless to say that some of those initially only coming to hunt and gather will find that there's more to experience and convert to faithful fans. It appears that YouTube and Blizzard Entertainment have finally managed to have a functional integration for this crowd, helping the appearance of the eSport. It would be remiss of me not to mention the much improved experience that the broadcast talent brought to the table, providing a fresh take on a familiar vibe. So obviously there he's just talking a little bit about the production quality um, as well as the desk. Obviously we already know, we talked about in a previous episode, uh, the the uh, games are now streaming in 4K, there's clip functionality, there's... Um, not drops, but rewards for, um, you know, minutes watched and that kind of thing. Um, so all of that, a great step up from last season after the uh, switch to YouTube was initially a little rocky. Seems like they've ironed out most of those challenges. Um, Yiska goes on to talk a little bit about how it sucks we can't watch these things together and there isn't really a good solution for that because of buffering and things like that, um, which does suck, but I digress. He also talks about uh, how great some of the matches were. We had some really close matches, but I'm not going to read that right now because we will talk about that later on in uh, the review of the previous week's games. He also then goes into a little bit of his personal opinion about the meta of the game, and I'm not going to touch on that because I actually disagree with him, but I digress. Moving on from there, one thing that he does bring up that I really wanted to touch on is player cams and seeing how much they care. So I'm going to read from him again here, from his article again here. 
Player cams have been a much-needed injection of a general and intuitive understanding of how much it means to players to be vic victorious on the server. Parasocially, the meaning of the action is communicated and transported to the viewer base, giving them an idea of what it's like to be a professional player in high-pressure situations, but also giving a new connotation to the general experience of a video game. Despite the logistic difficulties of getting everyone set up with a camera kit due to players playing from their home facility instead of on stage, the Overwatch League realized the value of this feature and pushed it through. The implementation of the UI is relatively non-intrusive and always active for the Western broadcast, allowing fans to catch each moment indiscriminately for the player in focus. Considering that the broadcast wants to ideally find the most impactful player at that very moment to observe, it also shows the reaction of those who are currently most interesting, adding further to the experience. It's a feature that many esports have found to add to the experience of their broadcast, and it was a high it was high time that an implementation was also available for the Overwatch League. So um, that was definitely in my mind one of the most noticeable, aside from probably the quality of the stream, one of the most notable changes or upgrades from last season, where obviously last season there was not an intention for everything to be played remotely, and so that posed its own challenges. But they had these player cams that were loosely used that I would probably argue the majority of teams and players didn't bother with, and so you either got a blank screen or just like a stock image, um, and you didn't really see much. Whereas this season... Uh, when they cut to a player's point of view, so that first-person perspective, um, they actually have the UI set up so that the player's camera is kind of attached to the character they're playing in the bottom left of the screen. So if they're playing Ash, it's got Ash's little portrait or whatever, um, and it's got a image of the uh, or a live video feed of the player and how they're uh, doing and reacting and such. This is obviously how we got some of these amazing moments from this past week's games, like Super saying wow when he got hit by, I believe it was Jangu's Shatter um, in the Houston versus San Francisco game. We also got to see, um, you know, at the end of a match, someone like, I believe it was Striker getting uh, very emotional after their, their loss to Houston. Um, again, same game with San Francisco, but obviously that game was a highlight of the weekend. So anyways... It's a great, great, awesome feature to see, a huge upgrade from last season, and really cool implementation, if you ask me. Um, the way it's not just, you know, kind of like you would see on Twitch, like a lot of streamers, it's not just a square image of them above the uh, the sort of UI of the game. It's actually kind of tied into the, uh, to the I don't even know what to say, to the UI of the game. So it looks really cool. Um, but as Yiska then points out right after this section, we didn't see it everywhere. So I'm going to also, or again, read from Yiska's article here. He writes, APAC production. While the competition in APAC was a delight to follow, the stream experience really wasn't. Constant stuttering made large and important parts of the matches unwatchable. While technical difficulties are expected, quicker workarounds would have been appreciated. As it was, fans who wanted to catch these matches in order to really comprehend the action will have to turn to the replay viewer in order to get an idea of how some of those matches were won. Moreover, the lack of player cameras does make a world of difference, and once spoiled with the feature on the Western broadcast, the contrast to not having them became all too apparent. Having the Eastern broadcast be ne the neglected stepchild is hopefully not a permanent development. So there you go. What he's talking about there is the fact that the APAC region, for whatever reason, didn't have the always-on player cameras. Um, and it was really jarring for me, you know, Friday watching the games for the first uh, the first couple games and seeing this and thinking, wow, what a great addition, what a great implementation. I love it. Um, it seemed like almost, I think on Friday, every single player had theirs on. I know there were some players later on in the weekend that didn't um, for whatever reason. But it was really cool to see that. And then Saturday morning, of course, waking up because I wasn't about to stay up and watch the APAC games and putting on the APAC stream and seeing, I shouldn't call it APAC now because I believe it's the Eastern region now. Anyways, um, putting on the stream from the night before and not seeing that, it was very much like at first you don't really notice anything because that's what we had pretty much all of last season. And then I started to kind of think, wait a second, something's missing here. And then I realized and it was kind of like, I wonder if that's just just for the replay. I wonder if that was the case when it was live streamed and everything. But obviously, there we go. We have our answer. Um, so that kind of sucks. And like Yiska says here, I hope uh, the Eastern region isn't being treated as a lesser region uh, than the North American one. So hopefully not a permanent solution. 
Moving on from there, uh, the last thing Yiska talks about, which I'm not actually going to read, but I will read some of his examples, uh, is loosening the leash on bands. So of course here he's talking about the fact that in past seasons, it kind of really felt a lot like players weren't really allowed to banter with one another. Um, you know, they weren't really allowed to like take shots at each other on Twitter or even, you know, in-game when in-game chat was on screen, they kind of really had to watch what they say. Um, obviously, some of the slip-ups that we saw in that led to some of the best moments of last season. Um, I think the, uh, the, the Big Richard moment comes to mind. But this time around, we're already seeing a lot more banter, a lot more chatter back and forth from... Uh, specifically from a few players, but even from some players that I don't think you would necessarily expect. So some of the examples here that Yiska posted, um, they're all uh, embedded tweets from Twitter. So the first one is Crimzo tweeting, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Game two, let's go, hashtag anti up. So that would have been, of course, uh, likely before the game against San Francisco, um, you know, kind of just because he says game two, let's go. So obviously before their second game of the weekend and obviously him kind of saying, you know, let's, let's do this San Francisco. And then following that, they have another one from Crimzo. I like being considered an underdog. There's no better feeling in the world than proving doubters wrong. I can't wait to take all I've learned this year and make 2021 my year. So not, not directly saying anything about the experience against San Francisco, but interesting nonetheless because we are seeing a little more visibility and and crimzo's you know not typically one to be quiet but uh it has been exciting to see that we've also then got a tweet from the official philadelphia fusion account that says nice didn't even have to fly half our team to get the win so that of course is in reference to the fact that right before the start of the season um philadelphia came out and said, hey, we're actually having visa issues for seemingly half their players. I think there were at least three, maybe even four or five, um, one of which was Christopher, one of the, I believe the assistant coach, maybe something like that, one of the coaching staff. Um, and anyways, they uh, they made some last-minute signings in order to have enough players to play. Um, so I believe that was Hotba and Toby. Uh, Hotba coming in on tank, Toby coming in on support. I don't remember who else could potentially be i'm just gonna take a quick search here i want to say mono yeah definitely nice nailed it um also coming in on tank if i'm not mistaken so yes anyways um interesting stuff there um and really fun to see philadelphia poking fun at the fact that uh they won their games regardless of uh you know missing a core part of what will likely be the future philadelphia fusion team assuming they do get that v those visa issues sorted out so um one other one that i wanted to mention here because as you all know uh former vancouver titans fan here and loosely still cheering for them but obviously still cheering for all of their uh former players who are still in the league slime tweeted ggs at vancouver titans old team xd so obviously there he's, uh, you know, that was after um, the Florida Mayhem, who Slime now plays for, beat the Vancouver Titans, and just kind of poking fun at the fact that, yeah, hey, you know, feels good to feels good to thwomp the old team. So, so there you go. Um, that's your required reading for the week. Go search that out. GG Recon, of course, posted by Sasha Yiska Heinish, uh, and it is titled Seven Things We Liked or Disliked About the Overwatch League Opening Weekend. Now... Without any more delay, let us move on to the news, where we, of course, have a major, major story to cover first. Um, so I'm actually going to bump this one up to the top because it is probably the biggest story of the past couple weeks. Um, and then I will go back in time to April 13th uh, and cover off on some of the stories that I missed uh, in the time between episodes. So big story here. This, I believe, was originally reported here. Um, the first place I saw it was here anyways. So this is coming from IGN.com, posted by Matt Kim on April 20th. And this reads, Overwatch director Jeff Kaplan leaves Blizzard Entertainment. Jeff Kaplan, the director of Overwatch, has announced he is leaving Blizzard Entertainment after nearly 20 years with the company. In a personal message, Kaplan announced his departure from, the, from Blizzard Entertainment after 19 years. You can read his full letter here. Or below. Greetings, Overwatch community. I am leaving Blizzard Entertainment after nine amazing... Nine, wow, good God. We're going to start that over. 
Greetings, Overwatch community. I am leaving Blizzard Entertainment after 19 amazing years. It was truly the honor of a lifetime to have the opportunity to create worlds and heroes for such for a wow oh my goodness gracious oh my okay okay pausing for a second here all right if you're new to the show just just chill man okay it's not a big deal sometimes words are hard here we go let's get back in there this is the personal message from jeff kaplan greetings overwatch community I'm leaving Blizzard Entertainment after 19 amazing years. It was truly the honor of a lifetime to have the opportunity to create worlds and heroes for such a passionate audience. I want to express my deep appreciation to everyone at Blizzard who supported our games, our game teams, and our players. But I want to say a special thanks to the wonderful game developers that shared in the journey of creation with me. Never accept the world as it appears to be. Always dare to see it for what it could be. I hope you do the same. GG. Jeffrey Kaplan. Development on Overwatch 2 will continue with assistant director Aaron Keller taking over as the new director on the sequel. Keller previously worked with Kaplan on World of Warcraft. Quote, Jeff's been a great leader, mentor, and friend, and he knows how much we're going to miss him, Keller writes in a letter to the community. I've been lucky to work alongside him and the rest of the Overwatch team for many years in building something that continues to inspire people all around the world, and I'm honored to carry the torch forward. Kaplan joined Blizzard in 2002, where he started as a designer on World of Warcraft developing quests for the upcoming MMORPG. He eventually was credited as a game director on WoW. In 2009, Kaplan spearheaded an unannounced project at Blizzard called Titan, a first-person shooter game. Unfortunately, Titan never came together and was officially cancelled in 2014. However, Kaplan and members of the Titan team took ideas from the game and redesigned them into a team-based hero shooter now known as Overwatch. Overwatch has been incredibly successful since its launch. With over 50 million players and numerous Game of the Year awards, Overwatch helped reinvigorate the hero shooter genre. Overwatch also spawned off its own dedicated esports series, the Overwatch League, which spearheaded city-based teams mirroring traditional sports leagues. Blizzard is also developing the sequel, Overwatch 2, a game designed to introduce a single-player component that fleshes out the beloved heroes of Overwatch. Though new PvP maps and heroes will still be released for both Overwatch 1 and 2. As for the future of Overwatch 2, you can read Keller's full letter below. So I am going to read this. It is a little bit long, so bear with me. Greetings, Overwatch community. Jeff's been a great leader, mentor, and friend, and he knows how much we're going to miss him. I've been lucky to work alongside him and the rest of the Overwatch team for many years in building something that continues to inspire people all around the world, and I'm honored to carry the torch forward. I love Overwatch. From our first pieces of concept art to the first maps we built to the first time I was able to run around as Tracer, Bracket, who at that early point shot laser beams out of her eyes. Oh my god. This game has just clicked with me. I love its inspiring, hopeful, beautiful world worth fighting for. I love its characters, larger than life, colorful, powerful, and global. And most of all, I love the fast, fluid gameplay requiring teamwork, situational awareness, and quick decision making. I also recognize that making games at Blizzard has always been a group effort and never about just one point of view. Together with the rest of the team, I feel fortunate that we have a deep bench of development and creative leaders, numerous veteran Blizzard artists and developers, and some extremely talented new blood as well, along with tons of support throughout the company for the live game and for Overwatch 2. Speaking of Overwatch 2, development is continuing at a good pace. We have an exceptional vision we're executing on, the, re- the reaction from many of you to the updates we shared at BlizzCon thrilled us, and we have exciting reveals planned for this year and beyond as we ramp up to launch. We'll be sharing more frequent updates about Overwatch 2 progress and new features in the live game with you all very soon. While I have no pretenses about filling Jeff's shoes, I'm excited to step into the game director role and continue to be a part of the team that's putting all of its heart, talent, and focus into the next iteration of Overwatch, and I'm honored to continue serving this incredible community. Aaron. So there you have it. That was the big, big news of the day. Um, Jeff Kaplan, Daddy Jeff, leaving Blizzard Entertainment. Almost 20 years he's been serving there. Um... So obviously, huge shock because uh, Jeff is in a lot of ways the face of Overwatch. Um, you know, the only other mine name that comes to mind is perhaps John Spector, who is of course the VP of uh, the Overwatch League. But he's definitely nowhere near um, as synonymous with the game as I think Jeff Kaplan is, because Jeff has really been the face of the 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 
the main game, not just the league. And obviously the league has a smaller audience than the game itself. And as this news broke, of course, if you were on the internet, on the subreddit, or on Twitter, you definitely would have seen it because um, basically the entire community, everyone from you know the game community to the Overwatch League community to many Blizzard employees, ex-employees, that kind of thing, just tons of outpouring of uh, love and support for Jeff um, pretty much. I don't think I saw a single negative thing said about Jeff. Lots of content creators, lots of personalities, lots of um, people in the industry, um, you know, making posts about having met Jeff, having interviewed Jeff, having worked alongside Jeff or, or even worked with him tangentially and just how great of a guy he was and uh, how much he will be missed. So um, there you have it. Jeff Kaplan, director of Overwatch, leaving Blizzard Entertainment. Now, the real question that stems from that is where will he be going? Of course, uh, we know that a number of big names that were formerly with Blizzard um, have started their own studio, which I believe is called Dreamhaven. Um, so, you know, obviously there's speculation already that he might be going there. Uh, but in all honesty, who knows what he could be up to? Um, however, hopefully this isn't the last of we see the last of him that we see in the game development community because. He certainly uh, was a fun personality to have around and uh, had a very positive impact on the community and uh, the industry as a whole. So there you have it. That's Daddy Jeff gone from Overwatch. Now let's go. We're going to rewind a little bit here back to April 13th for our next story article, which reads, Overactive Media closes $40 million investment. Montreal Canadiens join ownership group. This is posted by Tobias Sec over on esportsobserver.com. Let me read. Toronto-based esports company Overactive Media announced the second closing on their previously announced private placement, bringing the aggregate gross proceeds of their brokered and non-brokered finance financings to over $40 million U.S. dollars. The parent company of three esports franchises, the Overwatch League's Toronto Defiant, the Call of Duty League's Toronto Ultra, and the Mad Lions, the current champions of the League of Legends European Championship, bracket LEC, also announced that the National Hockey League franchise Montreal Canadiens joined its ownership group as part of the funding. The Canadian strategic investment in Overactive is their maiden voyage into the esports industry. The company also announced that Phil Kessel of the Arizona, Arizona Coyotes and Carl Hagelin of the Washington Capitals have joined its list of celebrity and athlete owners. These current NHL stars join Toronto Maple Leaf star forward Mitch Mariner, Marner, Marner and Canadian Grammy award-winning music artist The Weeknd, who were, previously, who were announced previously as members of the Overactive Ownership Team. Overactive Media is currently planning a public listing. So there you go, a little bit of a short article there from Tobias Sec, but very, very big deal nonetheless. Um, obviously, we are big fans of Overactive Media here, um, you know, being a fan of the Toronto Defiant and uh, Canadian esports in general. So really awesome to just, you know, see the Canadian roots that Overactive Media is really establishing. Um, you know, uh, obviously a well-known name in in Canada, but also throughout North America in the Montreal Canadiens. Um, long history in the NHL there, of course. And obviously some big, uh, you know, celebrity and athlete owners who also just so happen to be Canadian. You know, I actually didn't realize The Weeknd was was a uh, um, member of the overactive ownership team, but that's kind of awesome. Um, however, you know, uh, Phil Kessel, I knew about Carl Hagelin and Mitch Marner, all very interesting exciting names to have tied to this as well. And I certainly did not know that Overactive Media is currently planning a public listing. So that's very interesting. Uh, but overall, exciting stuff. Great to see the esports scene in Canada growing and continuing to grow. And I wish we would see more of that. And I wish there were certain other organizations in the Overwatch League or parent organizations that own teams or Canadian teams in the Overwatch League that were making these kind of moves, making these kind of deals and uh, really helping to build the scene. It doesn't seem like there are. So for now, I'm going to put my money on Overactive Media. Moving on from there. We're going to jump over to April 13th again. With lots of stories from April 13th, honestly. And this one is coming from Esports Insider, posted by Henrietta Hrlikova. 
and it reads, IBM introduces AI-driven Overwatch League power rankings. Global technology and data services firm IBM has introduced power rankings with Watson, an AI-powered method of evaluating player and team performances in the Overwatch League. According to the release, the solution will provide a weekly automated ranking system utilized across the league's digital, broadcast, and social platforms. Power Rankings with Watson is set to commence on April 16th, which is when Overwatch League's new season begins. Noah Sykin, Vice President of IBM Sports and Entertainment Partnerships, commented, Gaming and esports are the future of entertainment, and we are proud to be adding the best-in-class analytics to enrich the fan experience. It's a powerful demonstration of what's possible with data and AI today. We've used many of the same technologies to drive digital transformation at banks or airlines or retailers for years, but now millions of Overwatch League fans are going to see what IBM Watson can do. The introduction of a new ranking system is part of the agreement made between IBM and the Overwatch League last year. The partnership announcement revealed that both entities will develop various data-driven solutions for the league using the IBM Watson artificial intelligence and cloud-based infrastructure. IBM also promised to create tools to help the league process in-game data, produce more accurate ranking information, and create predictive analysis elements for broadcasts. The deal is expected to run until the 2022 Overwatch League season. John Spector, Vice President of Overwatch Esports at Blizzard, added, We've got really talented analysts that follow our players and teams, but there's so much happening in these matches. No human being could possibly observe and evaluate it all. We needed a way to capture and analyze every player's move and feed all that insight into a ranking system that is totally objective and reliable. It is also a great source of conversation for our fans and broadcasters. Overwatch League fans love debating stuff like, who's the best main tank in the world? The power rankings make that conversation richer and more fun. Esports Insider says, Having data giants like IBM helping with the development of tailored analytics solutions in esports contributes to improved accuracy of the retrieved data as well as, to in, as well as to richer fan experience and increased engagement. It will be interesting to see what other innovation, innovative solutions will the tech firm bring to the table. So there you go. That's a little blurb on IBM's Watson um, and how it's now going to be doing some data-driven analytics of the Overwatch League and players and matches and things like that. And to give a better idea of what all that mumbo-jumbo means, I've actually pulled up uh, the power rankings with IBM Watson. So this is all being essentially collected by a supercomputer and um, essentially every stat imaginable is being analyzed. And from that, Watson is somehow ranking things and assigning them a score and then... Uh, posting it on the Overwatch League website. So if you go to overwatchleague.com slash en-us slash power-rankings, that was overwatchleague.com slash en-us slash power-rankings, then you will find the power rankings with IBM Watson. So taking a quick look, when we look at the overall rankings of players, we see with a score of 157, the top player listed is Jinmu of the Chengdu Hunters. Now this is of course uh, only going to get more accurate over time because it is, yes, a computer. Um, Watson needs more and more information in order for its results to be more and more accurate. So right now, I'm just going to throw it out there, things might be a little bit skewed because obviously Chengdu did very well over the weekend and beat what was expected to be one of the top, top teams in the league with uh, their game against the Shanghai Dragons. So anyways, a little bit skewed right now, but interesting nonetheless. So I'm just going to look at like the, I'll go for the top six players here. So in first place with 157 points is Jinmu from the Chengdu Hunters. Second place is Gaga with, uh, again, for the Chengdu Hunters with 155 points. Third place, Gangnam Jin from the Florida Mayhem with 151 points. Fourth place is Lastro with 150 points. Now, Lastro, they actually have a picture of him in his LA Valiant uh, gear, uh, which is not where he is now, obviously. Um, if I pull up his Liquidpedia, I just didn't want to, I didn't want to get it wrong. He's with the Toronto Defiant now, so yay, good for Toronto. Number five is Elsa, again, with the Chengdu Hunters and uh, 147 points. And number six is Naist with 146 points, uh, again, for the Toronto Defiant. So two Torontoites there, Torontonians, I guess. Uh, three Cheng, Chengduians, Cheng, Chengduites, Cheng, Chengdonos. Um, 
and then Gangnam Jin from the Florida Mayhem. So overall, exciting stuff there if you're a fan of any of those teams, which obviously I'm a fan of Florida Mayhem and the Toronto Defiance, so yay, go me. Um, but again, slightly skewed. Uh, I don't think all these Chengdu players will be so highly rated after they get a couple more games under their belt, and uh, Watson really sees uh, what the Chengdu zone is like. So anyways... That's the overall player rankings. If we switch over to, let's see what we've got. Some interesting stuff here. Let's check the tank role because it does break it out by role. So again, uh, you know, similar uh, couple, well, similar names coming up here in the top five. We've got Gaga for the Chengdu Hunters again. We've got Elsa for the Chengdu Hunters again. We've then got OG on the Florida Mayhem, which good for OG. We've then got Sato on the Toronto Defiant. And then in fifth place, we've got Gargoyle on the Florida Mayhem. So again, very familiar uh, faces and build uh, that we're seeing there. Um, if we look a little further down the list, it gets a little more interesting. Um, you know, when we look at uh, number seven and eight, we've got Piggy and Jangu, who definitely had really good showings uh, for Houston this past weekend. And then let's switch over to damage and see what it lists here. Okay, in first place, we've got Jinmu again. Second place, we've got Naist. Third place, we've got Leave for the Chengdu Hunters. Fourth place, we've got Happy on Houston. And fifth place, we've got Jimmy on the Chengdu Hunters again. So again, three Cheng, Chengdonos, Chengdunos, uh, one Torontonian, and then one uh, Houston Outlaw there. So interesting stuff. Moving over to support, we've got Gangnam Jin in first, Lastro in second, Alarm in third, Nisha in fourth, and then Ansun Jay in fifth. So Ansun Jay, obviously Toronto Defiant, so is Lastro in second, uh, Nisha is in fourth and he is Chengdu Hunters and then uh, Alarm who correct me if I'm wrong is again playing for the Philadelphia Fusion so anyway so that's what these rankings kind of look like right now for the players if we go down to the team rankings it's arguably even more humorous uh, because in first place they again have the Chengdu Hunters with a score of 143 in second place, they have the Florida Mayhem with a score of 136. Third place is the Toronto Defiant with 135. Fourth place, Houston Outlaws, 133. And fifth place, the Philadelphia Fusion with 132. And it is a steep drop-off from there. But again, this kind of this more clearly even than, than the player rankings and the role rankings demonstrates why Watson needs more information. Because all of those top five teams had two wins this weekend. Spoilers for the uh, section, the Owl recap. Um... As soon as you get to number six, where you have the Dallas Fuel, they had one win, one loss, and they're sitting at 105 points. So a big gap between 105 in sixth place and 132 in fifth place, because again, we only have two games under our belt for most of these teams. And obviously there's only 14 teams listed here because all 20 teams have not played and will not play until uh, this upcoming week's matches. So anyways, I digress. That's a look at power rankings with IBM Watson. Um, it will be interesting to see how these things grow and change and see what other um, data and rankings and information come out of this because I think there's a huge potential for, uh, for more. Um, so yeah. Moving on from there. That was obviously a little bit of spoilers for the OWL recap and everything, but Moving on from there, a bit of a disappointing, sad article here, April 13th over on .esports.com, posted by Ethan Garcia. Reads like this, XE retires from professional Overwatch due to medical condition. The Dallas Fuel's 2021 lineup is down one player. XE has been forced to step away from his DPS duties and retire from professional play. The team unexpectedly revealed today that XE won't be playing with them when the Overwatch League's 2021 season begins. He's retiring early from the scene due to medical conditions that have worsened over time. Do do do. They've then got the uh, tweet embedded from Dallas Jefuel. Dallas Jefuel is, of course, the Dallas Fuel account. Oh, they renamed themselves today because of Jeff Kaplan leaving. Um... It's the Dallas Fuel account. They posted, With heavy hearts, we are saddened to announce XE's retirement for this season. However, player health will always be our top priority. We will be rooting for him every single day and wish him the best in his treatments and future. Uh, XE then recorded a, a retirement video there where he talks about what's going on and everything. Um, and uh, it's definitely worth the watch. It's, it's really too bad and really sad to hear. Um, they've got some of it quoted here, though. So it reads, quote, Since about a year and a half ago, I suffered from disc, head posture, and scoliosis, XE revealed in his retirement video. And now my health reached a point where it can't handle the routine. 
In a personal post, Xe said he'll be returning to Korea to focus on his physical health, but hopes to one day make a big return to the Owl stage. Sparkle and Doha are still expected to make the Fuel's roster as their DPS starters, but it's unknown if the team will be looking for a replacement for Xe. Xe previously competed as a part of the Paris Eternal during the Overwatch League's 2020 season, and was a finalist for the MVP award due to his prowess with DPS characters, particularly his gunslinging with McCree. He was set to join three of his former teammates from the Eternal on the new Dallas roster, who notably helped the Eternal achieve massive success throughout the year. With this announcement, Dallas takes a heavy blow to its offensive powers just days before the start of the 2021 season. The 2021 Overwatch League season officially begins on April 17th, kicking off with a battle between the Guangzhou Charge and the Shanghai Dragons. So, there you have it. Um, XE retiring from the Dallas Fuel and retiring from Overwatch in general. Um, like I said, really sad. Uh, hopefully he gets better um, and heals up quickly. Hopefully he can come back to the game in some way because it really would be a shame if uh, if that was the end of his career as he was a very skilled player. Um, and certainly leaves Dallas hurting a little bit. Um, although, as we found out from this past weekend, you know, um, Sparkle and Doha definitely held their own. But uh, I think there is a bit left to be... Uh, 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 desired, I guess, um, from some of the roles that Sparkle and Doha had to fill in XE's absence. So they're probably, I believe Houston, not Houston, Dallas has already said they are in talks with uh, some hitscan players to step in for uh, in that role. Um, so hopefully they get that out, sorted out soon. Moving on from there, another disappointing story. April 14th over on Upcomer.com, a site I don't think I've ever quoted before, Posted by Michael Cluse, soon retire, retires from Overwatch to compete in Valorant. French DPS player Terence Soon Tarlier announced on April 14th his retirement from Overwatch after five years of professional play and declared his intention to move over to Valorant. Soon announced the news on Twitter just a week after the Boston Uprising parted ways with him due to visa issues. Soon's Overwatch tenure was far-reaching with many first-place finishes. His career reached its arguable peak when he won Overwatch League Season 1 Stage 4 by defeating the New York Excelsior. He also found success with his first team, Misfits, as well as Rogue, the Paris Eternal, and the French National Team. The 27-year-old comes highly regarded as a top-tier DPS player with years of experience at the highest level. While expressing excitement about entering the pro-Valorant scene, Soon said he would have liked for his Overwatch career to continue. Quote, Destiny decided to let me seize other opportunities, Soon said in his twit longer. The journey has not always been easy. I've had to make a lot of sacrifices, and not all days were happy, but I will remember the positive things. I'm proud of what I achieved. I think that I can say without any arrogance that I had a great career in Overwatch. It is unknown which Valorant team Soon will join or whether he has a team lined up. He stated that he, quote, does not know what he's getting into nor what the future holds. Soon's brother, Theo Onibi, Tarlier is currently a professional Valorant player for OG, though there are no signs at present that Soon will end up alongside his brother. Whether Soon is taking a leap of faith or keeping things under wraps is anyone's guess. Fans will just have to wait and see what he has up his sleeves for his future Valorant career. So again, obviously we've talked about uh, in the past or um, in last the last episode, we talked about uh, Soon and his visa issues with Boston, which were really a shame, um, especially because Boston would have, uh, you know, would have looked considerably stronger with him in the lineup. Um, you know, it's not like everything can be carried on one player's shoulders, but soon certainly would make an impact on on just about any roster he was added to. So uh, it was disappointing to hear that uh, he was having these visa issues and Boston was having to uh, let his contract go. Um you know, good for him to be moving on to Valorant. Hopefully he can find something there as many other Overwatch leaguers have and can. So there you have it. Now we're going to head on over to the Esports Observer for an article posted by Hongyu Chen, which reads, Billy Billy signs multi-year deal with Activision Blizzard, secures exclusive broadcasting rights to Overwatch League. Chinese live streaming platform Billy Billy has entered into a multi-year strategic partnership with Overwatch League owner Activision Blizzard, which includes the Chinese production and broadcasting rights to the league in China, further development of the commercial interests, as well as support to promote OWL in the region. Financial terms of the deal were not disclosed. In addition, Bilibili also confirmed that the company was granted exclusive broadcasting distribution rights in China for OWL. 
it should be noted that Billy Billy also has the same rights for Riot Games League of Legends international competitions, including League of Legends World Championship, Mid-Season Invitational, and All-Star Event. The deal is part of Riot Games and Billy Billy's three-year strategic partnership, which was signed in 2020. During the 2020 World Championship, Billy Billy monetized the broadcasting rights by sharing it with other live streaming platforms such as Do You, Huya, and Penguin Esports for an undisclosed price. Before the partnership was signed, Billy Billy had secured the hosting rights of Owl Tier 2 and Tier 3 competitions, quote, Overwatch Contenders and, quote, Overwatch Open Division in China. So there you have it. That's uh, just, you know, to us over in North America, uh, assuming you are listening in North America. Um, not really an impactful announcement for us. However, a really big deal when it comes to uh, the international market, obviously focused on on China and everything. Uh, Billy Billy is huge in China and in some of the eastern regions. Um, you know, basically a Twitch equivalent in a lot of ways. Um, a lot of players over there actually stream on Billy Billy and things like that. So definitely a big deal that they have uh, struck up this deal. However, at the same time, um, you know, as the article points out there, uh, not anything too unexpected when you compare them to uh, Riot and League of Legends. So moving on from there, we have our final news story of the week, which again uh, occurred right a little bit uh, on the day of the Overwatch League. So just before the game started and everything, it was reported on .esports.com. April 16th, and of course, it wouldn't be an episode of One Man Watchpoint without an article from Liz Richardson. Boston Uprising signs Gablesy. Just hours before the fourth Overwatch League season officially kicks off, the Boston Uprising have promoted off-tank Gablesy to its starting roster. He comes from Uprising Academy, the organization's Overwatch contenders team. Gablesy has been a big performer in Overwatch contenders Korea, playing off-tank for WGS Phoenix over the past two years. He was acquired by Uprising Academy earlier this year and has now made it to the Boston to Boston's core roster. Uprising head coach Lori used to coach WGS Phoenix and will reunite with Gablesy as he heads to the Overwatch League. For Uprising players like DPS Valentine and main support Faith uh, also played with Gablesy on WGS Phoenix. Oh, that said other players, other Uprising players, not for, sorry, go on. Quote, we are excited to bring up Gablesy from the Academy roster to reunite him with his, some of his former WGS Phoenix teammates and coach Lori, said Huck, president of the Uprising. Gablesy will likely share off-tank playtime with established Uprising off-tank punk. Rumors of Gablesy's acquisition emerged on April 15th when the Overwatch League website listed the off-tank as a part of Boston's roster. This marks the second time the league has accidentally leaked one of the Uprising signings after Valentine's early reveal in February. The Boston Uprising's first match of the season is against the Los Angeles Gladiators on April 24th. So there you have it. Congrats to him. Congrats to the Boston Uprising uh, filling out their roster and, you know, um, exciting stuff seeing so much uh, contenders love there, um, as well as on a few other teams, right? So, um, so yeah, that's all I really have to say about Boston. So next up, we are going to move on to the Owl recap where I am happy to say we can finally cover some games. We can finally talk about what's been going on um, and how these past weekend's games turned out. Um, and yeah, let's get in there, man. Oh, uh, we have to get this thing moving again. All right, so your first match of the 2021 Overwatch League season was, of course, the Houston Outlaws against the Dallas Fuel. Um, for all intents and purposes, entirely new rosters on both sides of the fence. Um, yes, there is, like, you know, a remaining player or two. However, very, very large shift from past seasons. And this game wound up being... 3-2 to two in favor of the Houston Outlaws. Now, the score obviously leans towards the Outlaws. Dallas did not look bad, and it's really, it's really a shame that Exe wasn't there because it would have been interesting to see what impact he could have made. However, um, Houston definitely won the match, and Houston was looking mighty fine. So the breakdown went like this. Map 1 on Busan went 2-1 to one for Houston. Of course, the control map. Um, then we went to King's Row where Dallas took it, 3-2. We moved on to Havana where Houston took it again, 3-2. Uh, 
Moving on to Volskaya, where it went back to Dallas for a score of 4-3. to three. And then finally, we went to Ilios for the final capture point, and Houston took it 2-0. and oh. So um, overall, uh, overall impression of the game is Houston is looking scary. Um, their tank line is definitely going to be one of the highest rated tank lines in the uh, in the league this season, I think, uh, especially if they can keep this up. Um, and that tank line, of course, is Jangu and Piggy. The two of them, obviously, they have some history together, but the two of them together really look strong. Um, and obviously, that's, that's you know, not to take away from anyone else on the team. Uh, you know, Juby coming up from the collegiate scene and working with Crimzo on the support line, really looking good, keeping Jangu and, and uh, Piggy, you know, healthy and everything. Um, hydration and, or sorry, uh, Hydration was also on tank. He subbed in every now and then. Um, but... Uh, happy on the DPS line as well. Really, really impressive there. Um, and really exciting to see everything he was able to do with Dante. Um, uh, just honestly, a complete, I, I don't even want to call it a 180 because it seems like, you know, Houston as a whole has spun around and around and around, not seeing any results. And finally, it seems like they, they might have something going for them. Um, they definitely could be a force to be reckoned with this season. On the other side of that, uh, Dallas certainly not looking bad, um, looking good. In fact, probably better than good. I would say, probably, you know, not gonna maybe not top three, but upper side of that sort of tier two team level teams. Um, so definitely lots to lots to look forward to on both sides of the fence there. But Houston gets the win. The second match of the weekend was, of course, the Los Angeles Gladiators against the San Francisco Shock. A much-anticipated match, of course, with uh, everyone's favorite uh, support player, Moth, coming over to the Los Angeles Gladiators in a huge move, and, of course, leaving the San Francisco Shock. Um, so Los Angeles Gladiators looking like a large, largely rebuilt roster as well, whereas the San Francisco Shock... A lot of familiar faces, but obviously some new blood being injected into the lineup. So um, impressive showing on the San Francisco side for sure. Less so on the Los Angeles side. They definitely felt um, like they had a little less synergy than I think the San Francisco Shock did. Um, And I think most people thought that or expected San Francisco to come out on top here overall. So um, not too much to say there. Uh, both teams looking strong, though, and I think a lot of people were anticipating Los Angeles's next game, which, of course, was against the Dallas Fuel, um, because of their performance against San Francisco, where they definitely held their own, even though it went to San Francisco 3-1. to But I digress. We'll see how that turned out. Moving on to the Eastern Region games, we had the Shanghai Dragons come out on top of the Guangzhou Charge 3-0. to We then had the Chengdu Hunters come out over the Los Angeles Valiant 3-1. to then we went and saw Philadelphia Fusion in their first game against the Seoul Dynasty. And of course, once again, Seoul Dynasty. Um, I did actually catch this game. Seoul Dynasty looking like they had no idea which way was up, looking very uncoordinated um, in a lot of ways. And Philadelphia coming up on top, even with those two or three new players that had to be brought in simply because of the visa issues. So interesting stuff there, but exciting to see how this stuff plays out further. Finally, our first uh, Western Region game on Saturday was the Toronto Defiant against the Vancouver Titans. So a battle for Canada here. Um, and one that was much anticipated by most of us Canadians. Um, well, I hope anyways. Even though I think most people would not have picked the Vancouver Titans to win this. And certainly they did not. The Toronto Defiant came out on top with a score of 3-1. to one. But the interesting side there, Vancouver did take a map. And I don't think Vancouver looked as bad as maybe a lot of people thought they would or as uh, they certainly could have, you know. So breaking it down, map one, again, Busan went two to one to Toronto. Map two was Eichenwald and went three to two to Toronto. Map three was Gibraltar. And on Gibraltar, Toronto looked quite honestly abysmal. They got one point. Uh, Vancouver took it two to one. And it was just incredible how uncoordinated they looked. Moving on from there, they went to Hanamura, and it was like a completely different Toronto team. I don't know who grabbed the reins and who kind of shook them and grabbed their attention, but they looked like they really had their stuff together after that. So, 
So good stuff there. Um, I was happy to see Toronto come out with the win, of course. Um, and I think there were lots of stats like Toronto has never lost a battle for Canada or something like that. Maybe, maybe that's wrong. Uh, Toronto has never lost an opening uh, season game or something like that. So hooray, Toronto. Moving on from there, another exciting match for me as a Florida Mayhem fan. Uh, Florida took on the Atlanta Reign and came out on top 3-1. to one. The breakdown went Ilios 2-1 for Florida, Eichenwald 2-1 for Atlanta, Gibraltar 1-0 for Florida Mayhem, Hanamura 2-1 for Atlanta. So this one, again, I think was a widely anticipated match for the simple fact of there were a lot of expectations on the Atlanta Reign. I think uh, the, the Scrimbucks talk says that the Atlanta Reign have been doing exceeding lo- exceedingly well and we're really going to finally be able to take that step up. Um, whereas in the past, they've really been that gatekeeper team kind of, you know, holding the fort between the bottom teams and the top teams and just kind of staying in the middle. Um, and I think the, the, the rumors were that they were going to finally have something going for them and really be able to push into that upper tier of uh, North American teams. Now, um, I personally have never been a fan of Atlanta, and I don't really have a reason for that, but uh, I was not disappointed to see them lose, and I am a fan of Florida, so I was happy to see them come out on top. Um, now, I will give some other thoughts after I cover a couple more matches here. Our final game on Saturday was the Dallas Fuel against the Los Angeles Gladiators, and I think this one was uh, quite anticipated again for the simple fact of the Los Angeles Gladiators, in theory, held their own against the San Francisco Shock and stood a good chance of beating the Dallas Fuel. Now, that is not how things turned out. It actually went 3-1 to one to Dallas. So, interesting that that's how it all played out. Um, I think Honestly, the Los Angeles Gladiators looked a little less coordinated on this uh, on this round than they did against the San Francisco Shock, and maybe that's a case of playing up to your opponents. Maybe it's a case of Dallas adapting a little more than uh, than Los Angeles was able to. But I digress. Dallas coming out with one win this weekend. Moving on from there, we went back to the Sunday game or back to the Eastern Region for the Sunday games. The Seoul Dynasty coming out against the Guangzhou Charge, three and zero. Um, I did not actually catch that game. I didn't watch any reviews of it or anything like that. 3-0, though, sounds to me like Seoul pulled a soul, right? Terrible game one day, uh, then randomly seems like they have their shit together and dominates the second day. So I digress. Moving on from there, really interesting matchup after that. The Chengdu Hunters 3-0'd the Shanghai Dragons. Again, I did not watch this this game. Um, I thought about going back and watching a review of it, but from everything I've heard, uh, Shanghai just seemed very uncoordinated, very unplanned, very not willing to take any risks, um, you know, had a lot of challenges pushing forward and pushing up in their matches and things like that. Um, and Chengdu, I guess, just took advantage of it. So again, now you can see why uh, Watson ranked Chengdu so high, coming out 3-1 to one against Los, Ange- Los Angeles Valiant. Yeah, that's a match that probably any team should win. You know, any team should be able to beat the Los Angeles Valiant. But... Um, that second match, 3-0, the Shanghai Dragons, that's going to be where Watson really went, oh, wow, this team is really good, right? Um, but we'll see as they play some more games if they truly are just pulling a Chengdu or if they uh, can actually keep it up. So uh, the final Eastern Region game was the Philadelphia Fusion against Los Angeles Valiant, and Philly 3 0 them, of course. And then we had three games in the Western Region on Sunday, starting off with a banger of a match where the Houston Outlaws beat the San Francisco Shock 3-2. to two. So, a lot of expectations <laughs> going in here. Um, I don't think anyone would have really predicted or seriously predicted the Houston Outlaws coming out on top over the San Francisco Shock. Um, you know, San Francisco just such a dominant force, winning their first game against the Los Angeles Gladiators. And the fact is, a lot of people had uh, their top three power rankings as San Francisco... Los Angeles Gladiators and the Washington Justice in some some form or some sequence or another. Um, you know, it was not uncommon to see those three names in at the very least the top five positions um, in people's power rankings. Houston Outlaws, on the other hand, although there've always I mean there were lots of rumors of them doing well in scrims, but there's always been lots of rumors of uh, Houston doing well in scrims. I think the uh, They have a bit of a reputation of being, you know, scrim gods and then not being able to win any games. So um, 
it was really interesting to see Houston coming out on top over the San Francisco shock. Um, what went wrong here? I don't truly know. Uh, there was some madness with, uh, you know, Violet dying early, um, as well as FD God dying early a lot. And it kind of seemed like maybe that played a part. We also saw Violet coming over on the DPS role, which was exciting and interesting. And if you didn't watch this match, go back and watch it. Um, so overall, a, lot, a little bit of confusion there and honestly, just shocking. Um, that said, San Francisco almost completing the reverse sweep. So map one was Lijiang Tower, and it went two to zero for the Houston Outlaws. Map two, Blizzard World, they actually drawed on it, and it was three three. Map three was Dorado, and Houston took it one and zero. San Francisco looked like an absolute mess; they could not mount an attack at all, and Houston just dummied them. Uh, map four was Temple of Anubis. San Francisco took it four to three. Map five was Oasis. San Francisco took it two and zero. And of course, at that point, they were tied up 2-2, and San Francisco needed one more win to complete the reverse sweep, and it was on Havana, and the Houston Outlaws took it 1-0. and And that one was actually, that Havana round was an incredible round. Uh, definitely go watch it if, you know, even, even if you've had the score spoiled for you now, because uh, for all intents and purposes, San Francisco was on the brink. If I recall correctly, I think Bren had actually called it and said San Francisco's going to take it. And then Houston somehow got back to the point just in time, stalled it out just enough. And then uh, Jangu, I believe, was able to come around the back and just flatten the back line with an earth shatter that totally won the game for them. So really exciting stuff really interesting to see there and now the next matchup between houston and san francisco is going to have a ton of weight behind it so really exciting match go back and if you're going to watch one match from this weekend go back and watch that one honestly it was the winner of the week that's for sure uh moving on from there we then had the florida mayhem taking on the vancouver titans uh florida came out on top with a record of three and one and then we had the Toronto Defiant again taking on the Atlanta Reign. So as I mentioned before, uh, you know, essentially, I mean, if my two teams are the Toronto Defiant and the Florida Mayhem, both of them took on the Atlanta Reign and both of them came out on top against the Atlanta Reign. So that pleases me because as I mentioned, I'm not a fan of Atlanta. But the interesting part about that um, is that I honestly feel like Florida Atlanta and Toronto Atlanta are all kind of in that same... I want to say slightly higher than middle of the pack overall. Um, you know, I would place them all in kind of the five to 10 range um, in various positions. You know, I, I don't do power rankings, but just kind of thinking in my mind where I would, especially after having seen a little bit of all the teams. Um, and anyways, I think a lot of people had Atlanta ranked quite highly. I think they would probably put them towards that closer to that five position. Whereas I personally would have put Toronto and Florida ahead of them. So Exciting for me to see both my teams coming out on top over Atlanta. Um, and once again, the curse of Atlanta, uh, you know, persists. Are they going to be the gatekeeper team again? Who knows? We'll find out. And with that, that is your OWL recap. That was all of the games that we saw this past weekend um, in various amounts of discussion. So if you have any thoughts, if you have any exciting things you wanted to highlight that happened in any of those games, reach out to me on Twitter at Sir. D-R-J-M. There's no stopping me. All right. And now for the final segment of the show, we are going to finally take a look at next week's games and make some predictions. So we're almost at an hour here, so we won't spend too much time on this, but uh, I am going to go ahead and take a look. Now I'm actually going to pull up my pickums. And I'm going to place my bets. So let me just make sure I'm logged in here. Log in. There we go. I'm logged in. And let's jump over to week two. Here we go. Week two. Perfect. Okay. So on Friday, April 23rd at 1 p.m., we have the Paris Eternal taking on the Vancouver Titans. Now, this is actually kind of exciting. Um, the Vancouver Titans, obviously, we have seen in action, but the Paris Eternal, we have yet to see. Um, you know, obviously, we saw them in the whatever I forget what the cup was called just before the 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 season started. Um, but we saw a modified roster from them. Um, oh man, this is tougher than I expected. I am going to place my faith in Vancouver. 
that seems risky, and say that they will get their first win of the season here, um, which would be exciting for them. Um, I should have mentioned, I, I actually did enjoy watching the Vancouver games. Um, I really liked Fred Wiener, um, Fried Wiener, sorry, not Fred Wiener, um, as well as a few other players there. Um, in my opinion, their support line is the weakest part of them, which which is a struggle for sure. Um, Tiru came in on DPS and he was looking pretty good. Um, so, you know, some some pieces there in Vancouver that were enjoyable to watch at least. I'm going to give it to Vancouver with a score. I, I think I got to go three to two. I think it's going to come down a little bit to the experience that they have. Um, you know, but at the same time, I don't know why I feel that. I'm just I'm just going with my gut, you know. Next up on Friday the 23rd at 2.30 p.m., we have the Los Angeles Gladiators taking on the London Spitfire. I'm going to give this one to Los Angeles, even though they lost both their games this past weekend. Um, for the simple fact of I don't have that much faith in the London Spitfire roster, um, as we know, it is primarily comprised of the British former British Hurricane players, um, coming up from contenders, big in the European scene, but I do give the edge to the experience factor that all of the Los Angeles, or most of the Los Angeles Gladiators have. So I'm going to give it to the Gladiators. I'm going to say, I'm going to say three to one. Not a stellar opening for London, but I think it'll be a good game. I think it'll be closer than the score indicates, and I think that uh, London will have some good, good things to build on before their next game. Uh, moving on from there, we are going to go, uh, so I'm going to do this by region, actually. We'll go west and then we'll go east. Um, so we'll go on to Saturday at 1 p.m. Mountain Time. We have the Houston Outlaws taking on the Paris Eternal. I'm going to give it to Houston because they look crispy these days. And I'm going to, mm, do I want to go 3-0? and I'm going to go 3-0 and for Houston. I'm high on Houston right now, that's for sure. Moving on from there, we see the Boston Uprising in their first match of this season, taking on the Los Angeles Gladiators. Um, I have some faith in Boston. Some. Do I have more faith in them than the Los Angeles Gladiators? I don't think I do. I'm going to go 3-1. I'll give it 3-2 for the Los Angeles Gladiators. Let's do that. And then finally at 4 o'clock Mountain Time, we have the Washington Justice in their first game of the season against the Dallas Fuel. Now, Washington, highly rated this season, but at the same time, a bit of an unknown, whereas Dallas, we've seen a couple times, we've seen their um, some of their struggles, we know where some of their weaknesses are, or at least we think we do. Um, I think I'm going to give this one to Washington, though. Um, coming out of the gate, I'll be on Washington's side until I'm proven otherwise, and, but I'll give it to them 3-2. I'll say it's going to be a close game. Now, let's look at Sunday, April 25th, where the Houston Outlaws will take on the London Spitfire. I think Houston, man, honestly, like I said, London will gain some good experience playing against the Los Angeles Gladiators, but I think that's going to be the easier match of the weekend. And if I'm giving it to the Glads 3-1, to one, I think i got to say that Houston's going to 3-0 these guys. I'm so impressed with Jangu and Piggy right now, um, as well as Happy on DPS and, and Dante. I got I think I gotta give it to uh, Houston three and So we'll do that. One thirty on Sunday. Well, two thirty Mountain Time. Boston takes on Dallas. And let's see. I'm finding myself very down on the Glads and very high on Houston. So if I'm saying the Glads are gonna beat them the day before, do they stand a chance against Dallas? Dallas is gonna be coming off a loss by my predictions. Hmm. This is tough. This is tough. <laughs> I think I'm going to go 3-2 again. So three, so same score that they're going to get beat by the Glads. I think i got to give the edge to Dallas. Finally, we then look at the Vancouver Titans against the Washington Justice. So Washington, their second game of the weekend, as well as Vancouver in their second game of the weekend. And I'm giving it to Washington. I, ooh, I'm, giving them, I'm giving both teams a win this weekend already. But if Washington is, any, is as good as we expect them to be, I think... I'm going to say that Washington's going to 3-0 Vancouver. It's tough to say that right now because we don't know what Washington is really going to look like. But I'm going to say that's going to happen. And I'm going to save those predictions. Saving. All right. All right. Exciting stuff there. Okay. Now let's move on to the Eastern region. Now this one I'll kind of blaze through because I probably won't really catch many of these games at all. 
Uh, let's see, we have three games. So Chengdu plays New York. I feel like I'm missing games here. Chengdu plays New York, then Philly plays Hangzhou. Oh, that's an encore. Got it. Okay, sorry. I was looking at the schedule and looking at the pickums. Anyways, Chengdu takes on New York. Um, I'm going to... I don't know what New York is looking like right now. I'm going to give it to New York 3-2. to two. Um, No. Mm, is Chengdu going to pull a Chengdu? This is tough. I'll give it to them 3-2 to two because New York has a largely rebuilt roster um, with some contenders on it. I think they're still going to come up... Man, do I want to do that? I'm going to give it to Chengdu, 3-2. to two. Okay, good, settled, done. That feels right. Philadelphia against the Hangzhou Spark. I'm going to give them 3-1. to one. And Then on Sunday, we have the Hangzhou Spark playing against the New York Excelsior. I have both those teams already losing a match. <laughs> uh, I'm going to give it to Hangzhou, even though I have no reason to do that. I have no real feeling either way on that match. I'm going to give it to them 3-2. to two. And then finally, the Chengdu Hunters take on the Philadelphia Fusion, and I'm going to give it to Philly. I'm going to call it 3-1, to one, and I'm going to say that we're finally going to start seeing uh, the Chengdu Hunters slide a little bit and taking a peek at Week 3. Do they play again in Week 3? Oh, they have a bye week in Week 3. So, Oh, that's all their games before the tournament. Okay, so there you have it. That's my predictions, and that's a look at the upcoming games for next week, or this week, really. Excuse me for dropping in. And there you have it. That is our 2021 opening weekend episode. Episode 37 of One Man Watchpoint. Now, One Man Watchpoint is, of course, an Overwatch podcast where we talk about everything going on in the wonderful world of Overwatch. If this was your first episode, thank you so much for listening. I'm your host at Sir Dr. JM. You can find me on Twitter at Sir DRJM, as well as any other social media out there. And of course, as I say on every episode, I love to interact with you. Reach out to me, topics, questions, anything you want me to talk about on the show, uh, and I will happily do that. You can, of course, find this podcast on all your favorite podcast services out there, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc., etc. So give us a follow there, leave us a review, tell your friends, subscribe, whatever you want to do. Um, I'm happy for your support, and I thank you if you do. Now, hopefully you enjoyed this episode. Uh, if you do, or if you did, sorry, we will see you next week for another episode. Uh, should be airing on the 28th. Um, and we will once again recap the past week's matches in the Overwatch League, as well as any other news that comes in the coming week. So that's it. Thanks for listening. Uh, bye bye. Thank you. <laughs>